Welcome to the Experts in Sport podcast, brought to you by Loughborough University. This podcast seeks to bring together the worlds of academia and professional practice. If you're interested in the latest research and trends in sport, then this is the podcast for you. Today, research associate, Loughborough alumni and para-athlete Sam Ruddock takes the reins. Sam leads the conversation with colleagues on an international research project focused on para-sport against stigma. The researchers discuss the role the media plays in changing attitudes around the world. We hear some of the personal experiences and challenges of living with disabilities in African countries. And finally, we hear how sport can play a role in changing people's lives and how the Paralympics has inspired athletes from around the world to achieve their dreams. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you for choosing to listen once again to the Experts in Sport podcast. Uh, Martin has given us the reins for a brief half an hour to 40 minutes to talk to you a little bit about a four-year project that is on approach. Uh, as we all know, the Tokyo 2020, 2020. former Loughborough students, alumni, uh, Paralympian, but most importantly, a research associate for this project, which is called Parasport Against Stigma. Um, it is a sub-project of a wider project called AT2030. It is funded by UK Aid in and led by the Global Disability Innovation Hub. This project is led by Loughborough University London in partnership with the International Paralympic Committee and the University of Malawi. And joining me on the pod today, I have three guests, experts in their field, that will tell you a bit more about the project, how it's going to work, and the kind of impact it will have as we look forward towards the end of this cycle, but the beginning of another cycle, lending at the end of Paris 2024. So introducing uh, Dr. Emma Pollan. Hi, Emma. Hi, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, also, uh, Niasha Murakua. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Hi, Niasha. Good to see you. Good to hear you, I should say. Uh, and last but not least, uh, we have Mufu uh, Magalasi. Hello, Sam. All the way from Malawi here. <laughs> thanks, thanks, for, thanks for checking in, Mufu. Uh, so everybody, before we get started, before we get into the nitty gritty of uh, what this project is going to do, uh, tell us a bit more about yourselves. Uh, Emma, ladies first, why not? We'll start with, with the doctor in the house. Thanks. Yeah, so I'm a, a lecturer at Loughborough University um, and my research is mainly in um, Paralympic broadcasting, Paralympic media. And I, I look at different, uh, different types of broadcasting environments and how uh, Paralympic sports and Paralympic media can have a positive impact on public attitudes uh, toward disability. So it's looking at, I suppose, thinking about communication as a, as a way to progress social change in a positive way um, and try and reduce uh, the stigma associated uh, with, with disability. Um, and I've worked previously uh, on London and Rio uh, Paralympic Games and the broadcasting, the London and Rio broadcasting. Um, I'm particularly looking at, at Channel 4's coverage and, and the role that had, the impact that had on um, our kind of attitudes around disability and the progress we've made so far, you know, in relation to people's understanding of disability as a result of some of that very progressive and very impactful and engaging um, coverage. So, so yeah, that's that's basically what I do in a nutshell. And, I, and I'm sure you would have a lot to say about London 2012 and, and, and the impact that had across the nation as a whole. I don't think anybody has ever seen a broadcasting or a marketing campaign quite like that before uh, that brought the games truly into, in, into everyone's households across, across the country and, and across the world in many cases. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a watershed moment, really, in Paralympic broadcasting. And 
you know, Channel 4 globally is seen as, as the kind of, um, you know, the, the best practice uh, globally, um, you know, by broadcasters, you know, as a way of doing Paralympic coverage. You know, this is how it's done. This is this is the this is the kind of the way to gain the most impact. And um, yeah, I think it I think it's since then, in terms of the global audience following of, of the games, um, it's been, you know, increasing every four years. So clearly it's it's going in the right direction. With the aim of this project, of course, bringing the games to, to new audiences that, have, that probably have never seen or heard it heard it before, um, which is going to be really, really exciting. And and the the the, uh, the impact, the overall impact of that will be to bring hopefully new coaches and new athletes um, into the into the sport, not just at the Paralympic level, but also at the national level uh, across across their country and across their region, which is which can bring me very, very, very nicely uh, towards uh, Niasha. Now Niasha is currently based uh, in Germany uh, with the IPC, but he himself isn't is a he would say I don't know if he would say he's a former wheelchair tennis player anymore I think he, he would say he still plays wheelchair tennis so uh, Niasha please take the floor and tell everyone a bit more about yourself uh thanks Sam uh I definitely don't see myself as a former but um I think I pay less and less that I will be getting to that stage at this point but yeah so I'm from Zimbabwe and I'm a wheelchair tennis player I was at the London 2012 Games. Uh, it was my first and only games for now. And I played in the men's singles representing my country. I've done quite a number of sports before that, but never at the same level that I did in wheelchair tennis. And my love for the sport and seeing the difference that it did for me uh, made me do my studies uh, in Paralympic sport for my master's, which eventually got me working for the IPC. So in relation to this project, um, I'm working in the sport development department. Our pillar is pillar three athlete development. And I work with my colleagues there uh, with regards to that aspect, working with uh, the three countries that are part of this project, uh, Zambia, Malawi, and Ghana. And that is my role as a programs coordinator uh, in relation to the Parasport Against Stigma initiative. It's a big, it's a big, it's a big task. It's a big job, isn't it? To to find, to find, to find athletes and to find coaches and to to, to develop the pathway um, from and also the knowledge and the expertise, which I'm sure many people have, have come across before. Maybe a lack of knowledge has only instilled uh, perhaps fear or reluctance to engage with someone with a disability because they don't understand or are not quite sure. And I, I'm sure you would say that, that our, our job is to help 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 get rid of that fear and get and, and help that misunderstanding turn into, into greater knowledge which makes athletes and coaches feel feel much more comfortable yeah absolutely it's it's definitely not a small task but uh i think we are on the right path and a project like this will hopefully be that drop in the ocean that drives the communities in these countries in the right direction in terms of how we see disability in the in in, in society in general, and also how we recognize that people with disabilities are people with abilities that can live normally and independently. And if we give them the right environment, they can also do well in fields like sport, like any other person. So definitely um, a welcome project, in my opinion. Um, uh, the timing couldn't have been better. I mean, this is a good start, I think. 
I mean, I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad you agree. And you're right in what you say, that the overall task is to not just develop athletes, but to build people and help them find find their feet, literally find their feet um, in, uh, in in general in general society and then building uh, relationships and changing opinion and changing perspectives and reducing the stigma, which is the point of the entire project. Which brings us finally to uh, to, to Mufu, who is, who is in Malawi. Uh, and Mufu, I'm sure you have, it would be very, very easy for us to say, here's a development toolkit um we're going to put this on radio we're going to put this on television here you go go and use it but it needs to be in the right language it needs to be in the right context it needs to be in the right setting uh, and the work you are doing through community engagement is really going to help us to do that just t- tell us a bit more about yourself and how you found your way into uh, parasport against stigma all right uh thank you very much sam uh my name as said mufunanji magalasi um and i'm an associate professor of drama and development media um and the work that i have been doing um in the past 23 years has been to work in uh, development communication uh looking at how uh communication uh, can actually be used as partly a tool of what what resolving conflicts in society you know um and um whether it is through theater for development um which is uh, i think one of the one of the many um in inter uh face-to-face communication that we use uh, in Africa and uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, But apart from that, uh, the idea of um, um, mobile screening, for example, you know, um, I've been working at this university and I've done this work uh, in South Africa at this university. Uh, But I also, I briefly uh, had a stint uh, in the UK at Leeds University, worked with colleagues there, Jen Plus, and all at the workshop theater, working in greater and greater Leeds, you know, uh, Chapel Town, Bradford, and all. Um, and uh, about this project, uh, I think it's very exciting for me uh, to be part of it uh, for a number of reasons. Firstly, um, the we 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 using sports uh, as an entry point, uh, and. Uh, I have known sports as a performance, sports as a a public performance, uh, which entertains, you know. Um, But in this case, uh, sports uh, is coming in uh, to be not only to not only to entertain, but also to try to, uh, to 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 create a platform or to start to provoke a dialogue in Malawian society, for example, as regards to stigma that we have. Um, the main thing that we are talking about here is access. <clears throat> Human development starts with access. And here in Malawi, um, we have we are we are bogged down, I think, by so many issues, so many traditions uh, that look at disability in this way and that. Um, and they haven't had, they have. They are having a very bad, uh, I think, effect uh, on other people within society who are, who are considered uh, disabled, as it were, you know. Um, so my coming into this project uh, is to try for me uh, to see how we can go to engage communities but engaging communities beyond the cities because we talk when we talk about broadcast tv broadcast in malawi it's a city thing 
you know, it is a serious thing. About 12% of the population on televisions in this country. So you have about 88% which does not have access to that television. And I guess that is where uh, I come in, um, that we are going to take this uh, to the rural communities. We are going to take the broadcast to rural communities. Um, but apart from that, in terms of edutainment, we are also going to create um, a drama series which would provoke uh, which would provoke dialogue, which would provoke discussion around these issues. Uh, so for me, it's it's very very exciting. What I see myself doing in here, my how how I see myself contributing is to try to bring in my passion because I'm a very passionate person as a performer. I'm an actor uh, and I'm a director. And that passion, I want to see how we can use this as a way of trying to nibble at this stigma that lives with us as Malawians, uh, and especially in rural communities. You know, a city, city. I'm sure Nyasha would agree with me. Cities easily, easily change, but in the rural areas, sometimes because information doesn't get to them, you know, it they take it, they take a bit of time uh, to change. So my coming in here, um, I think, is to try as much as possible to contribute uh, a drop in the ocean. Yes, a drop in the ocean, but to contribute how, whatever little I can to try to see how we bring this problem down. People, when they are disabled, are, are not unable. And that's the whole point. I think that um, I'm excited to be a uh, part of. Thank you, Mufu. And you said you said it wonderfully well. Uh, we need to increase uh, the, the 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 access. That, that that is that is the very foundation of, of human existence: is access to opportunity and access to to prosperity. Uh, and and you spoke about uh, Niasha. We do, we are doing our work in in Malawi, Ghana, and Zambia. But Niasha comes from Zimbabwe, and his 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 story uh, would tell us a lot more. A very very interesting case study as to how he found his way from uh, from 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 the streets, as it were, into 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 the Paralympic Games. Niasha, if you, t- if you tell us a bit a bit more about that, we'd have an interesting case study to attach to the context that Mufu is actually talking about. <laughs> Yes, um, um, it's quite a long story, but uh, let me touch the basics. I think the most important parts for this conversation. So I I was born with a disability um, uh, in 1983, and I was born in a rural setup where I didn't have any assistive devices that could help me, uh, and I would be grew up crawling around on my phones uh, to get around, and my family putting me on their backs, uh, my parents and my siblings to get around. Um, and I only got my first wheelchair quite late, and it was not a, a child's chair, for example. It was an adult wheelchair, which had small wheels, all four, which you wouldn't push even if you were an adult. That was my first uh, um, moment uh, getting access to an assistive technology that could help me in relation to my disability. It's but not very, technical. Forward, it's not very then... technical, is it? <laughs> it doesn't sound very no. technical. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but fast forward, I go to what we call special schools, yes, so schools for people with certain types of disability, in this case physical, and where you are in one school, and that's where I got a better chair, which still wasn't a custom-made chair, but in there, in that school, I also then started doing a lot of activities and sport. And I moved to a different school for secondary education in high school. Uh, 
primarily hoping to be a successful wheelchair racer, but I never owned a wheelchair myself for the sport. And then along the way, I bumped into a person who offered to teach me wheelchair tennis. Like you said, it was on the street, literally on the street. And then I thought I would just go and try it out. And, you know, it started as a once off week, once a week thing for like a couple of years. Quite difficult to learn. If you know how, how tennis difficult is, difficult it is to get a ball over the net into the court. The first few times is difficult. But I didn't really think of it as something that I would want to pursue to a higher level at that stage. But uh, along the way, uh, I had to go to university, move to a different city, forgot about the sport. And then only when I finished my first degree and I was in between getting a job, that I then went back to the coach and said, hey, and then he said to me, come live with me while you're looking for a job. We play tennis. So it became a daily thing because that's his daily job. And because I didn't have anything to do, you wake up, you go to the courts, you play, you rest, you get back on the court until evening when you're done. And you can imagine over a period of about six months doing that six days a week, my progression was quite immense in that short period. Some would say you might time improve. End. Your, your, four, your, four, your, your cross-court game, your short game might improve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I then started participating in international tournaments in neighboring South Africa, and I was doing fairly well. And then that motivation came, and I said, I'm dropping everything else I've been thinking I want to do, and this is what I want to do. So that was around 2008 now, and it was too close to make any effort to go to Beijing. But I said, London 2012, I have to go for it. So with the support of many people, I managed to attend some tournaments. And along the way, I got a tennis scholarship from a university in South Africa to move from Zimbabwe to go play tennis and study. And so I I moved across. It was much better because I had access to coaching, physio, uh, uh, money being paid for me to play the tournaments. So... I spent about five years, uh, so I did another undergrad then all the way to my master's with that university. And my game also developed, and in 2012, I managed to fulfill a dream to be competing at the games, uh, which was quite amazing because if you had asked me like three, four years earlier if this would have led to that stage, I would have said, yeah, I would love to, but I don't see myself in there. In fact quite a number of times in the journey because of the challenges that you'd have with not getting resources to fully support, you sort of ask yourself, hey, am I going to go further? Is this how far I, I go? But then you just put your shoulder to the wheel and you keep going. And with the support of different people, you see yourself going from one step to the other. And that is a summary of my journey to, to the games. Uh, I, I still look and I consider myself very lucky. A person from my bringing, upbringing in my community to ever even have ever dreamt of being at an international tournament and winning a tournament in that sport, it was completely out. So I, I, I think for me, it's still an amazing story for myself because I, you know, sports like tennis are not easy and they're not cheap. Normally there's a lot of money that is put in there. So, but I didn't see that at the time I was just driving mad, trying to play. And with the help of people around me, I saw myself getting from one step to the next. And yeah, yeah, I am today telling my story. (laughs) 
it's what it's wonderful to hear. Uh, and it's it often starts with a with with a coach, doesn't it? It starts with a knowledgeable coach, and a big part of what this project is hoping to achieve is to develop coaches, um, their knowledge, and bring them to to Paralympic sport. But not to say that Paralympic sport is different or para sport is different. You just need to adapt your practice, uh, change your 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 delivery to 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 adapt to an athlete's needs and abilities. As as we've already mentioned on this podcast, it's not about disability. It's just differing abilities. Um, and, and you you were very fortunate in the way that you fell into the sport. Niasha, had you actually watched or heard any, any para sport before you had met that coach? Yes, yeah, so uh, I was lucky that in the school that I was in primary school, we did a lot of things. So we did sitting volleyball, we did sitting rugby, not wheelchair rugby as it is known as a para sport, but it was like rugby crawling on the floor. We did wheelchair racing because it's a special school for people with physical disabilities. You know, we could do a lot of sports in there. And because I was quite fortunate that my disability only limits my lower limbs. You know, I could, I was one of the fortunate, strong people that could partake in any sport without any fear that I could get injured. So I found myself trying different sports. But again, if you asked me if I ever thought doing that would lead to anything, not really. I just know that I fell in love with wheelchair racing. But for all that time, I couldn't afford to get a chair. But I kept borrowing there were a few people in the city who had wheelchairs and I would try and befriend them as young as I was. And then if ever somebody was not going to a race, I would just ask, can I use your wheelchair? I would just grow, grab the chair, go to the starting lineup in the race without any training because I just hope that this is what I would do in life. <laughs> so <laughs> that's who I was then before I, I was introduced to tennis. But um, yeah, I... I I I never seen any any higher level uh, participation like videos or magazines or anything. So even my dreaming then was not oh I want to go higher. I think I only start started knowing about the games in the early 2000s because there is a guy from Zimbabwe who won gold in Athens. But then you know that I was already in high school then. You know that's when I started seeing oh so sport can take you further. That's the, yeah, it's 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 amazing to hear that you you would get to the start line and nothing was going to stop you. You had to befriend nope. people that were older than you. That's a very brave thing to do to approach people <laughs> years your senior, saying, "Can I have your chair, please? I really want to race." <laughs> is what? Yeah, is, it was, uh, and I and I was lucky to be honest because quite about a number of them, about three, would borrow me the chair, and I'll go and do a marathon, no training, nothing, and then that would be good. <laughs> But it's it, it's it's the the access and, and the upkeep of that of that technology. It is technology. A wheelchair, a wheelchair for racing, and a wheelchair for tennis is very different uh, to a day chair. But we'll we'll touch upon that a bit a bit more, Niasha, as we as we go towards the end of the podcast and the overall role of of AT. I mean, if you if you are listening to the podcast, you at the moment are using AT. You're using assist technology. Or you're you're using a mobile phone. Uh, everything that we use to help us live uh, and make life more easier that is assistive technology. Um, but with regard to the the lack of access that Mufu was already spoken about that's the main challenge that we're facing uh he has spoken already about the lack of access to to a television uh the main source of how we're going to show this imagery across the countries that we wish to influence so um 
Emma, if we can bring the conversation back to you, what what are the challenges and and how we how are we going to overcome the challenges of of, of broadcasting in areas that have very little access to the technology that will help proliferate these images that will inspire uh, the next generation of of athletes and people. Yeah, I think there are some really important um, challenges or barriers to, to to overcome, you know, to get the most out of out of the uh, the broadcast. So, you know, as a kind of backdrop, <laughs> we've seen Paralympic broadcasting and the coverage has been, you know, a huge success in the global north. And it's made, you know, as I said before, it's really stimulated, um, you know, more positive attitudes towards disability, um, participation in para sport at a kind of local level. Um, and, and um, you know, in lots of ways, you know, we're only having this discussion because of, of, of the fact that, you know, Paralympic broadcasting and, and coverage has, has really taken off. Um, and you know this this project is only kind of stemmed from from well stemmed from the from the London Olympic Games and Paralympic Games, isn't it? In terms of its um, you know the focus around AT access and, and its and its positive impact. Um, but of course, you know the, the the landscape in Paralympic broadcasting is very uneven, and uh, across many parts of the global south, such as uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, where this project is focused, you know the games haven't been historically haven't been broadcast, um, and you see audiences with very limited access to any of the any of the coverage, and the IPC are very aware of that. Uh, so developing this, you know, 2020 Paralympics highlights package is going to go out to uh, to the, the region, um, you know, through TVs. They're, they're aware that actually, and as Mufu, I think, mentioned uh, before, that there's not a huge proportion of the population that do have access to a television. And actually, a lot of people listen to radio and um, engage in much more kind of community-based uh uh, community-based communication activities um, such as community theatre um, and, and community radio compared with you know as opposed to kind of watching tv so there's a there's a really sort of important media landscape that we need to be aware of when we're sort of uh, you know broadcasting this uh, highlights package and we need to intervene really in a way that we can we can localize uh, the broadcast and we can actually um, improve the reach and the impact of, of the broadcast. Because if we just if we just put it on the TV, um, it would be, in terms of people watching, it would be fairly limited. And so it wouldn't have the same reach and the same impact uh, as what we've seen in many parts of the global north. So being very mindful of, of that, um, you know what the project is doing is, is intervening in a way that we we, we try and localize uh, the broadcast, and we're doing that through um, well, I think two main uh, two main ways, and I think Mufu can can develop uh, some of these as well um, in 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 a minute. But one of the things we're doing is we're actually um, putting um, with the highlights package, we are actually putting the translation on the on the package uh, in the indigenous language so uh, at the moment the package is going out in uh, English and French and uh, we're working with local broadcasters to make sure that there's a, there's a there's a 
a translation that goes onto that package as well. Um, so you, you know, if you want to watch it in the in the local language, uh, you, you can do that. So that is one way we're doing. We're trying to improve the kind of reach. Uh, another way is we're, we're trying to uh, engage uh, local community groups uh, and local community theatre and local community radio to um, cover or to, to kind of, yeah, to broadcast some of some of the Tokyo games. So this can be done in, in, in kind of short packages uh, where they, you might get one particular athlete that's doing, doing well, um, one local athlete that's doing particularly well, and, and we, we take that uh, and, and we put it onto the radio. Um, so also, you know, uh, they're not just listening to the Paralympics of all the athletes are actually listening to, to their their kind of local power athletes and, and doing the race and doing and you know what they're doing um so yeah and we're also using community theater and i think mufu can probably talk more about that in terms of in terms of how we're using community theater to engage engage uh, audiences i think something we had touched upon in our in our recent knowledge exchange was the importance of having a translator um, in the mixed zone so those athletes and, and their voice and their stories can be heard because the English might not be their first language so to make that that highlights package more powerful is to have an actual translator that can bring their stories directly to those people so they can generally um, be a source of inspiration but, but yes Mufu please touch more upon how we're going to act. not enough to sit a group of people in front of the television and say be inspired. How how are we going to actually capture these images and make them accessible um, in the communities? Is it is it as simple as putting on some music, bringing some jollof, and say, "Come and have a party and learn about the Paralympic Games"? How are we going to do it? Oh <laughs> uh, well, um, I think we have had a number of lessons we have, which we will be basing our um, our experience or practice on. The HIV, the HIV and the AIDS pandemic gave us a number of lessons in trying to go further to engage communities. Firstly, talking about the packages. When the packages have been translated and there is a voiceover uh, in Chichewa, for example, for, for Malawi, we will show them as mobile cinema. The, the practice of mobile cinema in this country is long, long established through agriculture. It actually comes from about the 19th 30s, you know, where you would have uh, you would have a Land Rover. Uh, we call them yellow Land Rovers. You have a Land Rover with big speakers on top of it, and then they would go into communities and show them issues on agriculture. Some, and they would bring along sometimes even um, the, a Manchester and Liverpool game, which I first saw in 1972 through these uh, through these mobile uh, mobile cinemas. So we're going to take to that, but the idea is not. Just just to go and show them. The broadcasts are going to act like a provocateur for discussion because we will not only just show them, but we will hear their opinions. Uh, because at the end of the day, we want to see how they are accessing it. Are they able to access the highlights that come through? What is it that they are seeing in them? Uh, is there anything that's attractive? But then from there, then we move on to the issue of disability itself, engage them on the issue of disability. And here, Beyond now the, the, the broadcast, we're going now to engage with them on how, what their perceptions are, you know, uh, should, for example, would you allow, for example, your daughter to go and participate in this kind of sports? You know, why? 
If yes, why not? If you don't want to, what have been the experiences here in your community, in Kirazulu, for example, one of the areas where we're going to go to, uh, what has been the experience? And then through that engagement, these broadcasts are, I think, going deeper. They're going further than what we thought they would be just for them just to see. In terms of theater, theater for development, theater for development would engage with generally the idea of parasport itself. It is not very common. Parasport in Mao is not very common. It has just started. In fact, I first heard about parasport in Malawi about 10 years ago, you know, because my niece who can't speak and can't hear attended the Montfort School for the for the Deaf, you know. And then as a parent, we would go there on special days and then they would have all these kinds of sports. But to say that it was it was being done nationwide, I had never heard about that until last year when a friend of mine, a journalist, called me to say, will you have time to come and see this? Now, I knew that he was invited by, the, uh, later on I learned he was invited by the National Paralympics Committee. Uh, James Siutsi uh, invited him to Kirazulu to come and see this. So in terms of theater for development, theater for development is a platform, is a platform for engaging with issues, you know. So here, issues of uh, disability, we will talk about them as issues. We will create very short plays around these issues. And these plays are going in the two days that we're going to spend uh, in that area for theater for development, we will perform for the bigger community where we are going to engage these communities even further. Okay, um, and we do hope that uh, through that, then we are bringing the Malawian uh, Malawian society, especially rural communities, closer and closer uh, to understanding that um, there is nothing wrong. You know, um, it could have been just it, it. It's just like an accident. You know, there's nothing really wrong, or there is nothing. There is no taboo in you actually allowing uh, these kinds of things to be happening. But also issues of access to buildings. If you come to Malawi today, uh, most of our buildings, uh, most of our premises, do not have those kinds of things. So we'll be bringing in issues like those. You know, uh, and we do hope working also alongside Center for Social Research. Later on, funding uh, funding allowing, uh, we wanted to engage policymakers. There are organizations in this country like FEDOMA. FEDOMA uh, is a federation uh, of organizations of people with disabilities. It's a federation of NGOs in this country. But, and they do the work. But us as a project, as Parasport Against Stigma, we want to try to go and to put in more voice, more noise about this to the policymakers so that then at the end of the day, we are not only aware about the sports, but the sports becomes uh, some kind of a watershed, to use Emma's word, it becomes like some kind of a watershed for us to start dialoguing about these issues where certain people are not allowed to access certain things because we think they are not able. It's a thought. It's not that they are not. We just think that they are not. And we have grown to believe that that is how things should be. This time, it's time for change. So the community engagement will be working using the translated and localized uh, TV broadcasts to engage the communities in dialogue, to talk about these things so that we can try to bring about this change. Change. 
change so that then um, we we live to the word of possible. And I like that word. I love that word. Mm-hmm. The, the, the I'm possible program that's being led on by, by the IPC will go a long way to help change that perception using sport as the vehicle. As you say, it's going to hopefully that will change the attitude and they're not, I, they can actually achieve what they want to achieve. It's, it's, they're not incapable. They're very, very, very capable. But what you've touched upon is that it's very, very important is the stakeholders, the policymakers. They're the ones that hold the keys. They, they, they're the ones that can control the access to, 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 to a building in that sense. So funding being a very, very important has plays a very important role and uh, uh, seeing the value. Why is why is giving someone access, giving a human being a chance to access opportunity? Why is that valuable, and how can we make that something that is profitable? If you think if you if you, how a business thinks, how is this going to bring? Oh, I bring more people through my doors. I make more money. But this this person with a disability. I, I don't value them, but then we change their minds, we change their value, and they therefore become value if we talk about it in a purely economic sense. Um, and in terms of economics and the proliferation of AT and assistive technology, um, it, it's it's the maintenance and the upkeep of these pieces of technology that help an athlete achieve their dreams, like a wheelchair, tennis chair. Uh, th- these things can break down and they can become very, 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 very old and is that going to help an athlete reach the top of their game? Probably not. But if we go from the very, very basic level to the very international level, Niasha, what 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 are the challenges that an athlete would face if they were to go from a regional tournament in Zimbabwe, in Malawi, in Ghana, uh, bearing in mind, as Mufa has already said, a lot of the NPCs in Africa, the National Paralympic Committees, are very, very young. Some of them only established a decade, 15 years ago, which is astounding when you think about it. Um, so uh, how is how is this going to influence the future beyond through Tokyo and beyond in, in into Paris, do you think? Yeah, thanks, Sam. Um, yeah, look, as you already pointed out, most of the sports of parasports, they involve some kind of assistive technology of one nature or the other. The biggest, and most of those don't come cheap in terms of cost. And it is a big challenge for countries in Africa and elsewhere for their athletes to access the AT that they need, not only for their daily lives, but uh, for participating in sport. And what often happens is then you... If you are fortunate like me, you might get a piece of equipment that is world-class coming from a country, one of the advanced countries. But if you bring it in, what often happens is you go and it breaks down. Sometimes you do not have local expertise to either maintain and repair it or the piece that you need to replace, you also have to import it at a very high cost. So part of the solution that would help in not only increasing access to AT for sport or for daily living is to having solutions that are sustainable in the sense that it involves local partners in the provision of those pieces of equipment. It would hopefully also lowers the cost of uh, having them provided because at the moment, bringing in things from across the continents to Africa only works as long as the piece of equipment or AT is in good condition. So there is need for having more organizations that also are involved in designing something which is durable and 
uh, repairable that can be maintained from local expertise without the need to always bring extra parts from overseas. Obviously, as you go higher in on the high performance trim, you will require more advanced pieces of equipment like some of them, if you are talking about chairs now, there's carbon fiber frames. I mean, that is at a higher level. But I think most of what we struggle with in the countries here is even the basic chair to go out or piece of equipment to just try the sport. I mean, sport is not just for the people that want to go to the games. Sport should be enjoyed by everybody, even if it's for recreation. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't even have the 80 that they need to go and try a sport and just have fun and then go back home. So that is a project like this would bring into the mindsets of the different stakeholders in the community so that eventually we have solutions like this that are coming in. But I also just wanted to point something out that I strongly benefited me. We are not just talking about IT in relation to getting to sports equipment that you need to participate in. Sport itself can be an avenue for you to access AT for daily living. So I did mention that I never had a wheelchair that was custom built. And my first experience getting a custom built wheelchair is through having played sport and having access certain access to certain people and organizations who then also saw the need for me to have a proper piece of equipment for my daily living. So it's not just sports AT, it is also through sport that you can get access to AT that you need for daily living. And I think that that perfectly rounds off um, the whole the whole premise uh, of the project. And I, I can't I can only imagine the feeling that you must have had when you finally had a day chair that, that was made, that was built for you. I can't imagine how that must have felt uh, for you being able to finally travel and go about your business in a way that was comfortable and personal to you. That That's the same kind of feeling we want others to, to hopefully experience um, through through this project um let's have a, have a few closing remarks before before we before we say goodbye so um emma in in the immediacy as we are recording as you're listening to this episode of the experts in sport podcast we are a few weeks away from the paralympic games and as you might be listening uh, further on down the line so it might actually be going on but in the immediacy emma what 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 is what is, what is happening um you've got what you've got one minute tell us tell us what is actually happening now and and what are what's being put in place to ensure that this that we can capture the lightning in the bottle yeah, so we're working. We're working with with the national broadcasters to try and create uh, a bit of um, excitement around it through different kind of marketing and and um, e- extra content, I guess, that can be put on to to kind of get audiences aware. I suppose that it's going to be happening and it's going to be on. Um, so I think that's you know, in terms of the broadcasting, that's what we're doing. To, you know, to try and excite audiences. But ultimately, you know, this uh, this Tokyo games and uh, the, the impact and the the success of, of the coverage in terms of audience numbers across the region and you know through our interventions we won't know that until sort of after the games and and you know within the next four four years or probably three years now won't it to Paris you know we'll be working this project will will continue and we'll be working with with these groups and we're basically going to be building off the kind of data that we have from the from the audience the audience data and the, the kind of engagement data that we have from the Tokyo games in the region and we're going to be looking at what we can do to build on that to make Paris even more impactful 
to have even more of a, a greater reach um, across the region. So I think it was, you know, I truly believe it's going to be a success. And I think, you know, Mufu did such a great, uh, <laughs> he summed it up so well when he talked about the community engagement and, and the community theatre and the community screening. So thanks, Mufu, for, for doing that. But, you know, all these things hopefully will have an impact, uh, not just short term, but, you know, longer term, Paris and then beyond. And, you know, ultimately, the goal of, of the IPC and the goal of this project is it's around access, equality of access, but it's also around being, a, you know, quality of for people to be able to access the games wherever they live. You know, they can tune in via radio, TV, online, whatever way, whatever platform they, they use, they can tune in and they can access that coverage. And that's, you know, I guess that's the, the ultimate aim from a, from a broadcasting perspective. Access for for all is 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 the is the punchline. Um, Mufu, uh, with regards to community engagement, will a lot of will a lot of the work be done during the Paralympic Games and and immediately afterwards too? What 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 are your what are your, your final thoughts on on your immediate work during the games and after the games as we look towards Paris? Oh uh, yes, I think the main uh, the main activity I think will be happening as we in terms of community engagement as we come close to the end of the games. But at the moment, there are a number of things that we are trying to put into place to make communities actually aware. We will have um, what we call a pre pre-event, pre-event visit into the areas where we're going to go to, partly to also make them aware that this is going to be happening. Um, we will, we've been talking to try to take some uh, past recordings of uh, uh, some highlights from the previous Paralympics, uh, at least one or two episodes, go and see and then use that as a way of uh, introducing uh, because uh, people in the rural areas do not have, might not have uh, the, um, ma- the, the the marketing that is happening on TV might not reach them. Uh, so we are also thinking of trying to go on the ground to try to make them uh, to make them aware. The areas that are, are being covered are quite big. For example, uh, in Chiradzu, there are about about fifteen primary schools, uh, which cover an area of about uh, of about uh, forty. Uh, 40 square 40 square kilometers you know uh, and then from there once we get once we engage local leaders on the ground to say this is what's going to be happening and this is an example of what is going to be happening and I am excited um, and I'm, I'm going to follow that through AMA um, in terms of the radio partly of the radio broadcast radio is also another another area uh, which I think we could try uh, to use and we will, I think we'll be discussing on how best um, because MBC, Malay Broadcasting Corporation, has uh, both television and has radio. Um, they, they, all their radio, their radio. What uh, there's radio one and radio two. All of them are nationwide, and they're able to reach. So we let's try to follow that up and see how we can complement at the television broadcast. But apart from that, uh, complement at uh, the community engagement that uh, we will be uh, we will be doing. But yes, most of uh, the work will be happening during uh, and after uh, the, um, the 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 Tokyo Paralympics. Um, but we will. Have, uh, we will start somewhere to make sure that people are aware.
it sounds it sounds incre- incredibly exciting to bring to bring the games through so many mediums, television and 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 radio. And and Niasha, f- finally, um, athlete to athlete, how do you think the games will go for those African nations? And is, is it a prerequisite that there has to be some level of success for for these athletes as they go to a games for this for this project to have an overall impact? Or do you think there can be uh, fruit that can be caught in in other ways as well? Yeah, I think um, at this stage, uh, in terms of medal medals and such high level of uh, achievements i think it might be too soon but uh, as you know the life of an athlete is doesn't happen overnight part of the benefits that come out of this initiative is that the people that have been supported or are being supported now are much better prepared and ready to compete their best in the games from 2024 going forward but that doesn't mean to say that uh, we do not expect people to do their best right now. And for sure, if somebody is good enough and they should just go for it and uh, bring whatever they can. But uh, it, it is it is quite a journey because uh, a lot of the athletes have not had much support prior to the last two or three years. So I think putting that in context would help to understand why uh, the different kind of performances, whatever they will be in the current games. But hopefully then, from now going forward, things will get better and people and athletes will will be able to bring on some medals to the continent, hopefully, in numbers. <laughs> in, in in great numbers. We are, we have our fingers crossed. Yeah. When we, we, are, we are aware <laughs> that we're not doing this in a vacuum. Everybody is very aware of the pandemic and the constraints and yeah. the, the issues that has created, not just with this project, but also with the Paralympic Games. And, and we can only hope that athletes, coaches and NPCs will be best prepared uh, to, to represent their nations uh, to the fullest and as best as they possibly can. And with that being said, uh, that brings us to the end of our, of our chat at the end of this episode of Experts in Sport. Um, thank you to the three of you for joining me uh, and joining our, our, our audience uh, for the, over the last hour or so. It's been a really engaging conversation. So uh, we uh, we wish you all the best uh, with your work over the next couple of weeks and we hope for great success. And we will return again with another episode uh, to talk about the aftermath and just how uh, wonderful the games were. So thank you to the three of you and uh, take care. Thank you very much, Sam. Take care. Thanks for listening to Experts in Sport. If you'd like to get in touch to discuss any topics that you'd like to hear about, then contact me, Martin Foster, via my email m.foster at alborough.ac.uk. Bye for now. See you next time.